My name is Kenny Palmer. My name is Sabrina Stecklin. My name is Troy Heft. I am a home engineer, a.k.a. stay-at-home mom. I'm unemployed. I am a videographer. I became a Christ follower the first Saturday in July in 1973. I became a Christ follower in May of 2005. I gave my life to Christ in May of 1998. I've been at New Life since May of 2005. I've been at New Life since April of 1999. I grew up in a non-Christian home who did attend church on and off and on the holidays. I grew up in a Methodist church. The biggest challenge in my walk with Christ is Bible study. My biggest challenge in my walk with Christ is learning to change my heart's response of anger with my children. The biggest challenge in my walk with Christ is my follow-through. I am everybody. I am everybody. I am everybody. Well, if you'll take your uh, Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, we are now in chapter 3. Amazingly enough, we have made it all the way to chapter 3. And uh, if you'll take the, uh, there's a, some notes in your worship folder this morning. We're going to look at that also. Last week, uh, Pastor Jay spoke on the last part of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. And in the last couple of verses there of chapter 2, Paul tells us that there are two categories of people introduced. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 2, it says, The man without the Spirit, that's the first category, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there's category number one. Category number two, the spiritual man makes, judge, uh, makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. So Paul divides all of humanity into two categories, the natural man, that natural person who does not understand nor accept the things of God. In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says that this natural man is perishing. He's without the spirit at all. Paul's already told us that the gospel is foolishness to this natural person. This is the unregenerate person, the person who is not following Christ, who's not given his life to Christ. And then in verse 15, he says that there's another person, the spiritual person, or the mature, it says in verse 6 of chapter 2. This is the person who does understand the things of God. And as Pastor Jay shared with us last week, the person who is on this journey and has come to the place where they have the mind of Christ, that they think like Jesus thinks. Well, the small group I'm in is an amazing group. I just love our group. And, and it's a group of young married couples. And then Terry and I tag along. Um, and so each week, you know, I try, I, Pastor Jay gives us great questions to, to base our study on. We're in a study of 1 Corinthians, so we discussed what the sermon was about. And, of course, last week Pastor Jay said that there's this, this stair-step process to the mind of Christ. And so we talked about this difference between the natural person and the spiritual person. Well, I work very hard to make sure that Okay, I think I know where the discussion's going to go. I'll have all the questions. You know, I, I kind of, I can f- kind of figure out where this is going to go. And invariably, something will happen, and it's going in a direction that I just hadn't thought we'd go in yet. And this week, um, the subject came up of, well, wait a minute, hold, hold the, hold the fort here. What if we're feeling like we're neither natural 
nor spiritual. If there's just two categories, what do we do with this? I don't know that I have the... And there's the one that brought it up right there. Uh, <laughs> what about this? What is this mind of Christ? What, what, is this a, a, something to... Can we achieve this fully? What, what's the deal here? And so my very pastoral response was, wait till this weekend. That's what the sermon's about. Because you see, the problem here is exactly what the group brought up, which is this, this contrast is just far too cut and dry. It doesn't match the experience of many of us as believers. Many of us, when honestly evaluating ourselves, do not fall into either of these two categories. We, we're not natural. We've, we've come to Christ. God's drawn us to himself, and we've accepted that gift, that free gift of salvation. And yet, we struggle with, being spiritual, with having the mind of Christ. And our lives are more characterized often by three steps forward, two steps back. And with the struggles of who we were before we gave our life to Christ and with the sins of the past and with the new ones that we've come up with since then. So Paul realizes this also and he begins chapter 3 because it isn't so cut and dry. Maybe you're like Paul this morning and you, he, he realizes that the Corinthians are probably saying, well, wait a minute, what about me? I'm not in any, either of those two categories. And so he begins chapter 3 for two reasons. He, it, he begins it for hope and for warning. You see, in the NIV, it doesn't use this, this, this first word, but the ESV starts this chapter with the word but. He's just said, okay, there's natural and spiritual. I want you to have the, we have the mind of Christ, but, because he realizes there's a problem also. Let's read this passage and then I'm going to, we're going to pull apart what Paul is saying. Starting in verse one, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You were still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul begins this chapter saying, there's a third category. He does it for hope to the spiritually earnest struggler. I believe Paul wants to keep you from despair. This is those of us who... We really want to follow Christ. We are, we are striving to become like Him. We, we, we do desire to have the mind of Christ, to be spiritual, to understand the deeper things of God, to know that the gospel is the power within our lives. But we struggle with the, the flesh, that part of us that pulls us backwards away from Christ. But he also gives it as a warning. And it's a warning to the careless or casual drifter. 
And he's, one, he's saying, I want to guard you against presumption because what you're doing with your salvation, with your relationship with Christ, is just taking it for granted and figuring, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, that ought to be good enough. I can just do what I want to do. And yet Paul, in many of his letters, addresses that issue and says we can't do that with our freedom. So Paul says, wait a minute, we have a problem here. He says, but, well, but what? Well, Paul says this. He says, I've talked about those who are spiritual in verse 15, and I've said that they are capable of assessing spiritual things. But now he says, but you're not in that category. You're not in that category. He couldn't call them spiritual. And so what did he call them? He called them infants or babies in Christ. Other translations say, use the word carnal or fleshly and of the flesh. And so Dr. Paul comes in and begins, and he's going to diagnose the condition. And so now the contrast is not between the natural and the spiritual, but the spiritual and the fleshly or the immature or the infant Christian. This is the Christian who's neither spiritual or natural, that category that we're trying to figure out in the middle. First, he calls them infants in Christ. Infants in Christ. Paul says that he used to address them this way. In earlier times, he would use this phrase. And in the beginnings of the church in Corinth, and remember, this was the beginnings of the church around the world. The church was not that old at this time. He said, I used to call you and address you as infants. And these are the people to who, in verse 30 of chapter 1, he says this. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. These are people in Christ, believers, followers of Jesus. He tells them that they're wrapped up in Christ and he's all that they need in order to be accepted by God. It does not mean that they were totally perfected in their moral nature. It does mean that God was for them but he was having to address them in a way that they would understand and that was simple. It was the beginnings of the basic teachings of Christianity. But they are in Christ. These are Christians, but somehow falling between these two categories of spiritual and natural. He calls them fleshly. Paul realized that conversion did not equal spiritual maturity. A deep spiritual walk with God does not usually happen immediately after conversion it is a process and we know by experience that there is a kind of dichotomy a spiritual dichotomy within us as believers isn't there that on one hand we we want to we strive to be spiritual and god is working in our lives and then there's this other part of us that just seems to be fighting against that and seems to be in opposition to it and indeed it is that's why in Galatians 5:24 he said those who belong in Christ have crucified the flesh. Those who belong in Christ belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. A huge blow to our our self and our ego has been struck. The reality is that our victory has been secured. But the flesh battles back. If you haven't noticed this, the flesh doesn't go down easily. Our, the, the, that self in us doesn't go down easily. 
and getting to the place where we have the mind of Christ and where we follow the Spirit fights with this self selfishness within us to do what we want. Galatians 5.13, just a few verses before what we just read said, You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is crucified, Paul says, but we have to guard against it. There's two things going on. There is this dichotomy, Paul says, in that the flesh is crucified. You are crucified with Christ. But you're going to have to guard against this old stuff, this old you, the pre-Christ person. You're going to have to guard against that. What happens, though, is that we want to stay friends and we want to hang out with the beaten up pieces of our flesh. Paul says you'll continue to be infants if you're doing this. If you're hanging on to the sins of who you were before you knew Christ, before you were redeemed in Jesus, you're hanging on to those old parts, that old stuff. You're going to continue to be infants. It's really the the difference between justification and sanctification, which we talked about a couple months ago in the message on grace. We've been declared righteous in position. Positionally, we have been declared righteous, but we are not righteous in reality. We have to work that out within our lives. That's why we're told in Scripture to work out our own salvation. It is true, the flesh is crucified, but we must continue to guard against it. Remember, it's a living sacrifice, and it has this tendency to get up off the altar, doesn't it? We have to know that we can live in the power of this crucifixion while at the same time strongly guarding against a flesh that can come alive in a moment. And so we have this dichotomy within us that Paul says is causing you to be infants and be fleshly. So I want us to stop for a moment and somewhere on your outline or a piece of paper, I want you to think of an area in your life, a sin area that you are you know you're not guarding strongly against and it has a tendency to take hold of you. And I just want you to write that word somewhere in your outline. Now, we're not going to have it share share with your neighbor or anything like that. But I want us to hear the rest of what the Scriptures would tell us in in light of what we each write on on our paper. So just write one or two words there of that area that you're not guarding strongly against and takes hold of you. If you can't think of anything and you're with your spouse, ask them. They've got one. If your children are with you, ask them. They'll give you five. Well, Paul says that because you are infants, because you are fleshly, I'm going to have to give you milk rather than solid food. Look at verse 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Note this verse that he says they're still not ready for solid food. Paul is saying to them, after all this time, since the first days that I preached the gospel to you until now, you have not grown. And here his word of hope for the spiritual struggler becomes a word of serious warning. Paul has commented on what they were, but now he is commenting on what they are. He said, yes, you used to be infants, but I expected that because you were new believers. But now there's, there's no excuse for this. 
you're still the same. I'm having to talk to you in the same way. This is not good news. He tells them that they're still in the flesh in verse 3. And that they are, as the ESV says, merely human. You're merely human. You're still worldly. You're still not ready. You know, it's interesting in my... I do a lot of counseling and mentoring and discipling of, of, of people. And what I find is often the determining factor between spiritual success and spiritual, what we'll call spiritual atrophy, is humility. This is what I believe Paul is addressing in verse 2, is a, is a lack of humility. You see, it, it takes humility to grow in Christ. It takes coming to that place where we say, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I can't be doing it my way. And he says, I'm having to give you milk. Well, what is, what is this? What is this metaphor he's using? Milk is the teaching that's designed to get a proud person on the path to humility and eventually hope in Christ. Think of the message of the cross. The message of the cross, the message of salvation is a challenge to self-reliance, isn't it? It's you can't do this, that you're, you in and of yourself, I in and of myself, will not begin a relationship with Christ and build that relationship without the cross. It's going to take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to allow me to have a relationship with God. It is setting ourself aside, isn't it? See, at the moment that many of us in this room came to Christ, we set ourself aside and said, God, I give you everything. It's a setting aside of self-reliance. It's having humility. But what happens is, Dr. Paul might say to us, you know what's happening is your throat is so swollen up with pride and self-reliance that you're going to gag on the truth, even if it's milk. You can't even swallow this. Here you are, you've been Christians now for a period of time, and yet you still can't take the simplest of spiritual food because your throat is swallowed up with pride. You're relying on yourself. You have a lack of humility and you can't take this. I remember in the last days of my grandfather's life, he uh, started developing this odd condition where <clears throat> basically he couldn't swallow, couldn't take in food. And so as a family, we had to make the decision about whether to continue him on nourishment and all those kind of things. But it was interesting because just something you take for granted, that ability to take in nourishment and to swallow was taken away. And Paul is saying that very thing here of these people, that your, your spiritual throats are swelling up and you can't take in nourishment. And he compares that milk to solid food. Now we've learned earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians that solid food is not something that takes any more intellect. The gospel was not offered, remember, to the, the intelligent and the most, and the most beautiful or to the best or the highest rankings, it was offered to the ordinary. So it doesn't take more intellect to take in solid food. It takes less jealousy and strife and less pride and self-assertion. Look what he says in verse 3. There's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Paul says, I can see what's going on here. This jealousy and this pride, this self-assertion is taking over. Where, where did jealousy and quarreling come from? Well, when we're standing our ground and we're going to be right, doesn't it? Well, 
I'm going to cut down that other person so I'll appear to be more important. And that was going on in the church. The solid food isn't for smart people, it's for humble people. People who now want to boast only in the Lord. An example of solid food is found in chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The spiritual person is searching into the depths of God. That's solid food. This wisdom that God gives in the depths of the mind of God. And infants just can't digest it. See, the issue with the Corinthian believers and with babies is an issue of digestion and processing. You can't swallow it. You're not going to be able to process this. This is, this is just going to make you sick because you cannot take it. They had not grown up. So they were unable to take in the food that they should have been taking in. Well, how does he know this? Well, he notices this quarreling and this jealousy among them. And he brings up this idea of division again that he's already brought up in previous chapters. This division that is present as they have divided themselves based upon what teachers they were going to listen to. And he repeats this idea that there was division. And this time he mentions two teachers, himself, Paul, and Apollos. He realizes that the Corinthians were greatly influenced by the, this old nature of pride. And so they boasted in men. And they were jealous of each other and there was strife among them. The reason that they had made no progress spiritually is that they were really no different from ordinary natural men who did these same things. Not to make progress in your growth as a Christian is dangerous stuff. And we have to begin digging within and as we spoke about a couple weeks ago, letting God chip away until he gets to that place where we humble ourselves. So he is diagnosed a little bit here. The condition that's going on, this idea of pride and jealousy and boasting in themselves and in other people instead of the Lord. And so he's going to expound on their symptoms a little bit and say, now let me explain why I've made this diagnosis. And so in verse 8 he begins. He says, after all, what is, what is Apollos? What is Paul? You're, you're, you're getting stuck on this Paul and Apollos thing, and, and I'm going to bring it up again because apparently this really irritated him. This is the second time he's brought this up, and he's going to bring it up again because obviously it was an issue. He's saying you're, you're getting prideful in this situation here. You know, we've talked about the fact that they had kind of divided themselves up and said, well, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of all these different teachers. But Why? Did they do this? Well, I think Paul gives finally the answer to why. Why they were doing this. Why they were stuck on this identifying with teachers and putting themselves in camps. We've learned a couple things from this. We first know that Paul was the apostle. Paul the apostle, the father in a sense of this new fledgling church movement. And Apollos was the great teacher, the great theologian. So here's what appears to be happening is in their spiritual childishness, they've chosen sides. Now, we never do that, but we'll see what the Corinthians were about here. They've chosen sides. They've become puffed up. 
in their allegiances to figureheads and to lines of thought within the church. Here's what I think might uh, have been happening. See, the followers of Paul might have said something like this. I am extremely spiritual because I follow the apostle, the one who, when he speaks, speaks for God himself. He's the one who should be listened to. And so I follow his teachings. And if Paul says it, I do it. You see, Paul's words guide us into church growth and outreach into the community. And so I am far superior as a Christian than you because of this. While the followers of Apollos might have been saying, I am far superior spiritually because I'm a student of the great teacher. I know my theology. You know, Apollos speaks only in the word of God when he teaches. I don't rely on the authority of some apostle, the supposed authority of this apostle, but only on the scriptures. This teaching is going to make us wise and knowledgeable and far more mature. We would never do that, would we? See, here's what was happening. You had Paul the apostle of the early church, the, really the father of the church growth movement. And he was saying, I'm going to go here and I'm going to plant a church and I'm going to go over here and we're going to plant a church and we're going to spread the gospel to all these communities. And I'm going to ask you to go out from this place and we're going to plant churches. And these churches will spread everywhere. And because I knew Jesus, there are things that he's going to give me to say to you. That's juxtapositioned against Apollos' followers who might say, well, it's not about church growth. It's, it's not really about expanding the gospel. We just need to be deep learners of the word. So we're going to learn the word and we're going to become more knowledgeable and we're going to have greater wisdom and we're going to study and we're going to remain in our little tight-knit community and... That would never happen today, right? No, what do we do? We do exactly the same thing today. And so today we might say, well, we have, I am of Rick Warren, or I am of John MacArthur, or I am of Francis Chan, or it happens today. It's happened throughout millennia. Why? Because we are infants we're immature, we're fleshly, and we get stuck in this. See, what's happening? I, I get my person, have you read the latest book by so-and-so? Why do we say that? Now, I hope it's because, hey, this is a great thing, and this will encourage you. Or is it to kind of build ourselves up, and you say, hey, you know, yes, I, I read all her books, you know. I read all, you know, I, I, I study. Have you read anybody else? Have you gotten any? No. Why do we do that? Well, I have, have you heard, I've heard every Billy Graham sermon ever preached. I get on line and listen to 19 sermons a week. Now, nothing wrong with any of this. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we put ourselves into camps because it makes us feel better. Well, you know, do you know that he wrote something once that my guy disagrees with? Really? We can't all agree? Shock. 
but we do it for ourselves. It has really nothing to do with the teachers. It doesn't have to do with Paul and Apollos. It has to do with us. It has to do with our immaturity and our, our, our pride and our lack of humility that says, I've got to put myself in a camp and prove that I'm better than you. Now, we would never say it that way because we see, when we talk about it this way, that there's a problem with those attitudes that divide up believers that way. Because they don't, here's the problem, they don't lead to maturity. Well, why? Well, because the place of focus and faith is on the wrong thing. It's on the wrong person. We're putting our faith in others. Maybe you're, for you, that wrong person is someone else. You've gotten stuck in a direction or a a line of teaching that isn't wrong, but it's wrong to focus on it and build yourself up because of it. Maybe that wrong person is you. Maybe you find that the emphasis of your faith journey is you. Maybe the voice that you follow the most is yours. Maybe the deepest desires of your heart are not God's, but yours. Paul is saying, what the Corinthians and many of you today are doing is this. We are putting man where God belongs. He's saying this is going to cause you problems, and here's what it really causes. It just causes a spiritual immaturity that allows you not to grow, and all you can really take in is milk, the whole while thinking you're getting the deep things of God. So here's what Paul does to help us see what the issue really is. He goes back again to this problem. He goes to this problem of divisions and says, okay, let's talk about this Paul and Apollos thing again. And let me see if I can set you straight once and for all on what's really going on here because you've got to get past this pridefulness, this jealousy and this quarreling over this issue. And what Paul does is place man in his low place and God in his exalted place and not the other way around. First, Paul says this. Verse 5, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul says we are servants. Apollos and I are just servants. God alone is the master. He says we're just servants of Christ. There is one who assigns us our duties in the first place. We're not the owners We're not the masters. Don't boast in us. Paul says, there's this God who's given us our task. We're just the waiters. Boast in the Lord, the master of the servants, Paul says. So he says they're servants. He reminds them that everything should point to God, the object of our faith. I read this week that uh, somebody said this. When you get a letter from your lover... You shouldn't fall in love with the mailman. God is the one who's to be prized above all, isn't he? It is Jesus who has given us life. Paul reminds them, Apollos and I, we're just servants. We're just the, deliver- we're just the mailmen. We're just the deliverers of this gospel through which you've been saved. Don't get stuck on us. Fall in love with Jesus. Prize him above everything else. And then Paul says, God is the one who draws us to himself, not man. You just came to believe because God spoke through us and drew you to himself. 
We're believers because of what God has done, not what we have done. God is the real mover and shaker in the process of redemption. Not us. Stop putting us in the forefront. Then he says, we plant and we water. Back to who Paul and Apollos were. Paul was the planter, the church planter, the beginner, the entrepreneur, the apostle. Apollos was the waterer, the, the teacher and the theologian who his, his role in the body was to help people grow. But he says, that's great. I planted, Apollos watered, but God alone creates life. You're getting stuck on the gardeners and not looking at the harvest. We shouldn't be impressive at all, Paul says, compared to God who is life-giving in his power. He is far above us in our efforts. Why would you be impressed, Paul says, why would you be impressed with us when there is this God who has redeemed you and saved you and showed you mercy and love and kindness and given you life? He says, we're nothing compared to God. Look at verse 7. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Paul says we're nothing compared to God. Now, he's not belittling his calling. That calling was of God, and he served in it. But he wants us to understand how to live in view of our own worth and God's worth in relation to each other. If you'll remember in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, what did God choose? We talked about this earlier. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not. That's what God chose. Today, here's what happens. We often think, God chose to use me. So aren't I somebody? Paul points out that we should be saying, God chose to use me. Isn't he somebody? We can't be excited about our own status. We have to be excited about God's grace and God's grace alone. And then he finishes by saying, we are not competitors, but allies. We have one purpose. We have one purpose, and each one of us will be rewarded according to his own labor. God has made us one. It is you that is dividing us. Out of your own pride and lack of humility and your own desire for self-assertion, you are dividing us. You're making competitors out of allies. But God has given us a common goal, and God will reward us. What do you say we just leave all the distinguishing to God, and God will reward as he sees fit? We've put man where God belongs. Paul clearly said, not supposed to be that way. And so he explains a cure. And it's all about perspective. Let's get the right perspective, Paul says in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Here's what it's going to take for you to grow in maturity from infants into spiritual people. Live in the truth that God owns it all, including you. We are God's field, and Christ is the master of that field. We are God's building, and he is the owner of that building. 
When you realize it's all about Jesus and not about you. When we realize that it's all about him and the cross and not about us and our camps or our desires to place ourselves somehow higher up, then we'll start growing. He says, infants, listen up. Here's the problem. You're putting man where God belongs. You're not growing mature because you are focused on the wrong things. You're getting stuck in pride. Don't place anyone or anything above God, the one who has shown you grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and given you life. It is not about anyone or anything besides God. Don't be content with being merely human. Realize that you're the field and the building, the work of God. Paul says, you want to become spiritual? You want to mature? Set yourself aside and live like it pray together father may that be our desire to set ourselves aside and live our lives because it's all about jesus father may those of us who are struggling in infancy step out of our pride and humble ourselves before you May what we do as individuals and as a church be always about you and not about us. Not about our camps. Not about the divisions that we place to make ourselves feel better. May it all be about you.